Good morning, everyone. It's 9 a.m. here in Toronto. This is Evgeny. We are going with our day three of Cybersecurity Awareness Month for October. We had two guests before. One, Anna, we spoke about cloud threats in January, and Sean Higgins, we spoke about metrics. And today we have Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How was your long weekend? Uh, it was good. Did some relaxing with the family and ready to roll. Same here. So today we have a very exciting topic, and I think it's a very good topic for Security Awareness Month. We're going to talk today about getting into cybersecurity and some misbusters about it. So please tell me what you do in the area, because you've been doing and helping people to get in cyber for quite a while. Yes. So I myself have been in IT and cyber for close to 15 years, started as a kid, but um, within the past several years, as I have started a podcast called Breaking into Cybersecurity, where I share the stories of individuals who have broken into cybersecurity within the past five years. This allows them to see that there's a role model out there um, that might have come from a different path, a different career, and for them to share their story. Um, along the way, I've created a couple books like this one, How to Develop Your Cybersecurity Career Path at Any Level. And then Is the book uh, on Amazon? Yes, and I'll share the links with, with the guests shortly, um, as well as a second book available on Amazon, Hack the Cybersecurity Interview. Um, my passion is really helping individuals highlight their transferable skills and find ways that they can associate themselves with cybersecurity, whether in their current role or potentially a future role. Great. By the way, everybody's joining right now. You're more than welcome to ask questions here in the comments on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and I think we're also doing Twitch today. And uh, if you want to join the live stream, please let us know and we will figure out the magic about bringing you here as well. Great. Uh, I think, Chris, you just put the link here in, in, in the note. This is amazing. So everybody can see it as well. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, I love about this industry, and we have Simon Lindstead also in the comments. Um, he's been a, a great example of someone that has come from a totally different field, potentially limited cyber experience. And he wanted to jump in head first, um, find out about the industry and he, he built an amazing community around doing just that and showing how you could take your transferable skills of leading and organizing people and turning that into uh, something that can benefit your career. So this is an interesting point because 10 years ago, the assumption or the, the status quo was if you want to get to cyber, you probably need to spend time in IT, do some help desk, do networking, or maybe you somehow did professional services and then you basically in cybersecurity or you became, you become a SOC analyst. But 10 years ago, the amount of SOC analysts was relatively small because there was not too many MSSPs. Right now, pretty much the way to get to cyber in many cases, it's SOC person, but not just that. There's a lot of other options. What do you mean by transferable skills? 
Well, so in Simon's case, Simon was in sales and finance, and he knew how to get budget. He knew how to influence individuals within the organization. And that paired with his passion for finance allowed him to create projects and run projects within the cybersphere that many others would not have been able to do because they might have been too technical or too sock focused. And now cyber is part of the business. So you just don't need the technical skills. You also need the business skills to be successful and to grow in your career. I am a very big believer of soft skills, especially for the last two and a half years when we do a lot of this remote. I think three years ago, it will be make sense that you and me will be sitting in the same place with the camera. But right now we are a couple of thousands of kilometers apart and it's totally natural for you and me to do it. So the soft skills and the problems that amount of focus and attention spam with people is very, very minimal. So you have like five minutes to catch somebody's attention that we already been live for five minutes. So I hope we catch somebody's attention. So let's talk about skills. Let's talk about what's important to get to cyber and what's less important. And let's break some assumptions. Okay. So in the past four years that we've done this podcast, um, there's been, I would say, three skills that have topped the rest. And those three skills aren't what you think they are. They're typically the ability to communicate, the ability to collaborate, and then curiosity. And for example, let's look at a SOC analyst. If you're just going to look at the alert and say, oh, um, this looks like a regular alert and not really drill into it, you're not curious. And that's not going to lead you well over your career. However, if you're going to say, okay, well, this system got an alert at this time and this other system got an alert at this time and they're, they're, they look like they're potentially connected, what other systems might have had that? And then you start to detect a pattern, then you can create a use case for potentially something that's bigger that's happening in your organization. But if you never had that curiosity to dig, into those different alerts, you wouldn't you wouldn't have put those together. So basically, you're saying that cybersecurity is not a nine to five job at all. Absolutely not. I mean, most people that love cyber and are really passionate about cyber, they have some sort of tinkerer, curiosity based um, personality, and this could be. They love to look at data and find the patterns in data, or they love to look at the way that people operate and find that, oh, this guard always cuts this corner at this time because they want to go have a smoke break. That's someone that's curious in, um, a pers in the personality of people, and then they can use those traits to find a way in. So looking and having that curiosity as part of your core skills is going to be something critical that many many employers have highlighted that they look for. I think it's also important to mention that in cybersecurity, the field moving so fast that what you did 10 years ago or 15 years ago is not always applicable. 
of course, the basic skills, like the curiosity, the problem-solving skills are applicable, but the technology itself may change. Like if you learn, and like I learn, and I did it a lot, how to mount servers in a server room, right now, it, this skill no longer needed to anyone, <laughs> pretty much. C correct. The, the, the racking and stacking of server might be limited to your MSSPs that still have a physical location, but many of them are going all cloud. So understanding the next step of that, well, how do we connect these servers and how do we connect these servers in a way that doesn't introduce too much risk so that we can monitor and patch them without potentially exposing them to the environment until they have been fully patched and hardened. Um, that's something that you'd want to do now in a cloud environment versus a physical environment. Let's talk about, uh, if, I, don't, I don't want to know if it's a myth or it's, a myth or it's actually correct way to get to cyber. A lot of the time you're going to Facebook, you're going to LinkedIn and somebody say, oh my God, I want to get to cyber. And right away you see people, A, go to learn hack me, learn pen testing, become a white hacker, and I personally see a lot of discussions going about pen testing and hacking. And I have my own opinion about this, but I want to hear what you see, if this is the right way to get to cyber, or maybe it's uh, not the right way to go to cyber. Well, I don't think there's a right and a wrong way. I think the problem is there's a misalignment of needs. Um, hacking, pen testing, there's a small percentage of companies, whether consulting or internally, that truly use um, red teams. They might use uh, pen testers, but the scope that they use them for are usually fairly specialized. So the demand for those resources is considerably less than the amount of people that are passionately going for that area. So you'll end up with employers that are looking for fairly experienced resources over fairly novice resources in these areas. So I'm actually have a relatively strong opinion about this, that I think if you start in cybersecurity, pen testing is not the first work you, can, you, should, you should probably get, and I'll explain my opinion here. To be a good pen tester and not just run scripts, you need to understand a lot of things around you. You need to understand networking, you need to understand OS, you need to understand protocols, you need to understand how internet is working, how firewalls, WAF is working. And this is not something you can just read about it. You need to actually touch and feel and do it. So the chance that you will somehow in a year virtually learn this without configuring, without touching them and become a pen tester is not so big in my mind is let's say you went to learn um construction engineering and the moment you're done and now you can go and design buildings you're probably not going to design a high-rise building as a first project you're probably going to design a small shed or house so i think it's a it's a totally fine to want to become a pen tester in a three four or five years but before that go do it help desk soc deployment professional services, something where you can actually do hands-on to understand what is happening when you're going to touch and check the systems. Totally agree with you. And then there's the other side of it where there's the job description and then there's what you actually do. 
um, many, many pen tests job descriptions are really long. Um, what they do is they might tell Qualys to run a scan and that's it. Um, so depending on, and this is where when you're interviewing, when you're looking for roles, you have to find out the true scope of the role. Um, most that are coming from a sysadmin role can run Qualys and they can understand the implications of um, running a larger scope across the network than others. But if you're new to the field and you hit scan and that scan is on the, the product environment and you take down the AD servers, no one might be able to access that environment until those are rebooted. So yes, understanding uh, the environment, the implications of the tool that you're running and how it can have impact on other devices is critical. Okay. I also think that because there are so many different professionals right now in cybersecurity, I believe you're talking about like 50 different roles, that almost doesn't matter which role, what do you do right now, you can potentially find something where you can use your current skills to do it. Like, for example, we mentioned pen testing, we mentioned deployment, but you can also do risk and compliance. You can also do uh, some other things in cybersecurity, it's also cybersecurity, but are less technical, for example. So in your history, maybe you can uh, share, share some light on people that did X and then they find their job Y in cybersecurity. Yeah, first, uh, let me share a helpful resource here. And this is called the NIST NICE framework. And this is what, as part of the whole cyberhuman initiative, we use to align roles to what an individual might be doing. And you're right, there's over 56 different roles in IT and cyber right now. And what this website does is it highlights the transferable skills um, that you can get in e each of these roles. Okay, and I'll put it here that people can see, because I don't know if everybody can see if you put it on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll put it, it on here. LinkedIn. Yeah, um, I'll leave it here as well, that people can see it. And, and then the other thing, so as you look at these roles, um, yes, there's a lot of um, skills and capabilities that go from one role to, to another. So for example, um, knowing how to read a framework, that's going to be compliant. That's going to be something that you use in uh, GRC, governance, risk, and compliance. But it's also something that you might use while you're pen testing because you're going to say, well, this is a financially rated application and it needs to have a pen test once a year because of this compliance requirement. So having that skill is something that you can translate between the two of them. Um, the other thing is you can look at this and use it as a step chart of this is where I am. These are the skills and competencies that I have. And this is what um, someone that might be fairly skilled in this field would have and work on getting these different experiences in different ways. So you could talk to hiring managers about your skills and competencies. Okay. So I'm watching this show right now. And I'm, I don't know, let's say I'm a truck driver and I'm afraid that Elon Musk will take over and all the trucks will drive themselves. And I think it's time for me to move to cybersecurity. What will be your advice? So my advice would be first figure out where in tech and cybersecurity you want to be. 
because you could be a truck driver that is interested in IoT because you've been repairing your trucks over the past 11 years and you know how to get in your truck's computer, you know how to get the logs from it, you know how to diagnose your truck. So you can take those transferable skills and put it into a role. So if you like IoT and you know how the trucking and transportation industry works, you can work um, within that field working on IoT devices and doing cybersecurity for those IoT devices. Um, just doing, just understanding the regulations around trucking, you can go into GRC if that's something that you like. Um, it really depends on where your passion is. When I work with on uh, the whole cyberhuman, um, their candidates, as well as the coaching that I do, the first step that I do is self-discovery. I work with the candidates to figure out what they want to do. And then we work on creating a, a plan to get there. So self-discovery is the first thing, not just randomly picking a role uh, from the hat. This is a good one as well. I also think that with the bringing of AI, machine learning and analytics, everybody is doing some kind of analytics or marketing or other people as well, sales. They can take and transfer the skills to cybersecurity as well. Because in a way, you need to manipulate data. And you need to manipulate data in very, very big chunks of data. So if you know how to do it right now, in some or other you know, profession right now, you can take this and use it in cybersecurity as well. Absolutely great point. Um, if, for example, you are doing market analytics and you're doing, you're doing that analysis of where big chunks of your market are and how you can address them, you could potentially do the same thing for vulnerability management. Work, work with the business owners, show them where their major vulnerabilities are, how old they are, what sort of risk is imposed by those vulnerabilities, and then work with potentially more technical teams on these are the, the tools that are needed or the steps that are needed to mitigate them. And you with your analytics and them with their more technical, you come together and now you have a, a vulnerability management team that can tackle both sides of the equation. Great. So let's switch gears a bit. First of all, I'm going to show you the link. This is if you guys want to know the next shows tomorrow. We have shows tomorrow and uh, Thursday and Friday as well. So in, in this link, I will update the link that people can get there. And also in this link, you can connect to the two podcasts that uh, I run one called Cyber Inspiration, where I interview founders of cybersecurity vendors and another on security architecture with Dimitri Reitman, where we actually interview a lot of vendors on a technical level and architecture. And Chris, I want to kind of ask you and pick your brain about interview because you have a book about it. So maybe you can give some quick advice for people that started their cybersecurity journey and now they're ready for this first interview and dive yeah. in. So a couple of, uh, yeah, maybe tips. Yeah, this book, Hack the Cybersecurity Interview, what we did with uh, Tia Hopkins and Ken Underhill is that we dissected the top 10 cyber roles in, di in different areas from SOC analyst to sales engineer to cybersecurity manager and even a CISO role. Um, 
gave examples of what hiring managers would be concerned about at the various levels, the types of problems that they might be looking to solve, as well as the types of questions that they might be looking to ask and provide the, the readers with that background so that they have an understanding of what the role is, why it's important, and the types of problems that uh, managers in that area are looking for that role to solve and how they can help solving that. That way it provides them a holistic approach to what the role might be. Simon put another resource here. I don't know if you can, guys can see. So thank you, Simon. Uh, maybe, you, yeah, you, people can see it on LinkedIn, but I'm going to leave it here for a second as well. I still, Chris, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Uh, we, I'm gonna, we're going to go a bit deeper here. I guess in any question on any interview, I may be asked a question that I don't have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. What is your maybe personal advice? You know, I can, and I can give my own advice as well. So I ask you a question. You don't know the answer. What do you do? So there's two things as a hiring manager that I look for. First thing is potentially that you admit where you might you might not know something, right? There, the, as you mentioned earlier, the cybersecurity field is evolving daily, and there's no way that everyone's going to be an expert in everything. So first, the ability to say, okay, well, I don't know about this thing, but if you understand what the thing is, and how it related to previous experience that you have, you could say, I did something similar in this role. This was the situation. This was the, the, the task. This is the action I took. And this was the outcome. It kind of shows me your thought process through how you would tackle it. Um, then there's also behavioral interviews that they look for how you would address it. Um, how would you work with a team? How would you communicate? How would you collaborate? Uh, where it's looking more on the soft skills versus the technical knowledge. So depending on the type of question that it might be, whether it's a, a technical question or a behavioral type question, uh, you can address it in either of those ways. This is a very, very good answer. I'll also add to this that I think it's totally fine to say that you don't know, but you need, you need to look and feel confident i always say fake it until you make it so don't be shy about it like it's not a shame that you don't know but also you need to project that you don't know but you're willing to learn and you're willing to come back and actually show so i think it's totally fine to say mr manager i actually don't know the answer to this question but if you allow me let me do research and come back to you in two days with an answer yep absolutely and we live in a world where because there's so many things that are ever changing. Um, yeah, saying that you need to Google or saying where you might go look for a certain answer, right? If it's a question about um, a CVS rating or a vulnerability, you would say, this is what how I would approach researching this problem. And this is what I would look to validate the answer. Or potentially that you have um, a network of people that you might reach out to in a, such a situation. So, for example, if someone asked me about a certain type of vendor or an architectural situation, a problem that they were facing, I might reach out to you and ask you, hey, have you ever seen this situation? What sort of vendors play in this space? What sort of solution might they use for this? 
and take your recommendations um, along with my own experience and provide my manager with with that with that answer. So Jessica bring up an interesting point about Google is your best friend. And I'm wondering, can we actually trust Google for everything? Can we trust Wikipedia? Or maybe we can use Google to start our search and then as you say, validate with a friend that what we find at Google is correct. Because unfortunately, a lot of people bring their opinion and sometimes this opinion, not always the correct, you know, the correct opinion, or maybe it's a bit misleading. So how do you know, like, how do you validate what you find is actually true? Well, I'll, I'll spin that question back to you. With every company truly being unique, um, what's the right solution for any company? <laughs> so first of all, I am a big believer of not saying best practices because there's, in the end of the day, best practices is somebody did it. So it's somebody opinion or some or group of people opinion. I can do say it could be a best practice for this particular solution to do it in this way, but not generalizing this for everyone. Now, for solution-wise for a company, I always say because I believe in connected architecture and infrastructure, then we really want to understand how this particular solution will connect the rest of your infrastructure. As the same if we're buying furniture for your condo, for your house, we're not just buying the most beautiful or biggest things. We need to understand how to match with the rest of the furniture at the house. Or maybe if it's actually going to fit in the house or in your living room. Same with the TV. 80-inch TV may not work on a small on a, on a small uh, house. Maybe it's better to have a smaller TV, but you're going to have a better view or maybe have a projector. Same with the vendor and, and architecture. You want to understand what you have right now, what will be the synergy between the solution you're going to buy and the rest of your environment. And with typical enterprise having 80, 100, 150 different solutions, you really don't want to log in to... 80, 100 different dashboards, it's just impossible to understand what's happening. So you really need to understand if they're going to work together and how they're going to work together. So this is my answer. There's no serial bullet for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I want to say. What I meant with that point, right, is that everyone might have an opinion as to what's the right way. But because each company is unique, you have to think about the unique risk implications um, the risk appetite of that company, the structure of that company. Are they in one cloud and two clouds and three clouds? Um, are they all SaaS-based and they have no main cloud infrastructure? Um, are they hybrid? They have on-prem. And how does that on-prem model now play into that solution? So there's a lot of factors to consider. And I don't think there's any one right way. And it's potentially working with someone like yourself that has experience over multiple solutions to provide guidance as to an optimal way to do it. And it's not necessarily right. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with you this part. And kind of close the loop on Google. I think it's awesome to start with Google, find the answers, doing the initial research, and then validate with a friend. Just kind of, this is what I understand. Is this, is this is my assumption correct? Just to kind of close this to understand that you attack the problem from multiple levels and multiple angles as well. Chris, I think we are almost half an hour here. This is awesome. I don't think there's any questions here. We posted some links and we maybe post some more links as well. Thank you very much for joining. Anything else you want to add? 
Yeah, I would add one more thing. So as we work through a problem that we didn't understand in the beginning, we research, we got um, the opinions and um, background from other experts. I highly recommend for those that are more junior in the field now to potentially do a write-up on that, um, to share with the community um, without potentially exposing sensitive information from your organization, but what you learned in that process and to share that on your LinkedIn, your Twitter, however, your, your blog. That way, it starts to create a digital brand of yourself and the type of work that you do so that other hiring managers can see that and can potentially just find you using that um, without you going out and applying. Great. There is a lot, a lot of good information here. I hope people can watch and rewatch it. It's going to be available on LinkedIn and YouTube as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining today. And Chris, have an awesome day and everybody else as well. Thank you. Bye-bye.